Welcome, fans, to Enter the Hexadome, the fourth best podcast about Aristia. Welcome to Into the Hexadome, the fourth best Aristea podcast. Uh, Andrew uh, is quite busy at the moment, so you'll notice that the voice is somewhat different. Uh, this podcast is being done by myself, Jonah, and by Jason. Say hello, Jason. G'day, g'day. Okay, so in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, leagues in Aristea and in specifically the AGL manager mod from the league rules. Uh, and also, we're going to talk a bit about the latest expansion, which came out a few months ago now, uh, Double Trouble, featuring Legong and Moonchild. Oh. Who are both proving very, very popular very, very quickly. Yeah, so uh, one of the people on the Discord channel that we use posted some of the stats from the Spanish community, and Lei Gong is, I think, the third most taken Aristea in the month of March. Yep, yep, he is the third most, and Moonchild is the sixth most, um, come, moving up massively from February. Um, but yeah, they the two of them have certainly shaken up the meta over there um and it'll be interesting to hear from viewers or listeners um listeners whether they've had the same impact for you how are you finding the two of them on the table but we'll get into them a little later yep absolutely okay so uh the agl mod then so for those of you who perhaps have played games like blood bowl a very old game now that has a, a league system where your team advances as it goes along the agl manager mod kind of plays on that um your players themselves don't get any better uh but you go through uh, a set number of games up to a maximum of eight i believe uh, the league recommends um, mm -hmm. And you can gain more players. So you start with a team of four. Uh, you can gain more players, and you can also use things called audience points to buy sponsor and equipment as well. Um, so I guess we'll just have a little chat about the Aristos first of all. So as I just mentioned, we have this thing called audience points, and these are what allow you to buy different Aristos as the league goes on. Uh, the AGL document suggests starting with one of four preset teams, uh, but in the leagues that uh, Jason and I have been involved in, the people who've run them, so Andrew ran the Into the Hexadome one, and we're currently playing in the AGL Global League Season 3 that's being run by Martin, who's Harlequin of Death on the forums. Uh, they've both taken the option to allow people to construct their own teams. Um, so if you look at the Aristo cost you and the preset teams, you have two 16-cost Aristos, one 10-cost Aristo, and one 
cost Aristo. So the leagues we've played in have allowed us to construct teams based on those costs, but choosing any Aristos that we want. Um, I don't know about you, Jay, so I feel that works much better. Yeah, the one we played over the summer, the first one, um, the Into, Into the Hexadome League, we had to take two 16-cost Aristos, one 10-cost Aristo, and one 6-cost Aristo. Um, and I found that quite a constraint because of the way that I construct my teams. Um, for those of you who haven't heard me before, um, I am into the high, I am a heart of the hyperpower, um, and I run the heart of the hyperpower blog. Um, and I'm Mr. Panosiania um, in the Infinity World. Uh, so when I am constructing my Aristea teams, I use exclusively Panosianian aligned Aristos. Um, and that really narrows, I mean, obviously that narrows the range of Aristos um, which are available, but it makes a significant difference when I'm really tied down um, to specific point costs as well. Um, because basically uh, Panosiania has Valkyrie and Gata, and those are the only two 16-point Aristos that are available. So I had to take those two. Yeah, I I think because that was the first league we, we played in, so it was kind of house-ruling the constructed teams. I think it worked well, although it was a bit more constraining. I do prefer the way Martin's done it. Because um, I'm actually running one 16-point Aristo in our current uh, AGL manager mod. Um, and he did allow you to keep the leftover points. So after the first round, you can start spending your audience points on uh, other Aristos or on some of the other things that we're going to talk about. Now, uh, I won't go too much into the audience point system, but essentially you... you you get audience points based on uh, how you do in the game, if you win, if you lose, how many frags you cause, how many victory points you cause for those who aren't familiar with League. Um, I remember I was a guest on Into the Hexadome and I discussed the new AGL document when these rules first came out. And one of the things that I said is when you look at the cost of all the Aristos, that just seemed right. They seem to be based on pick rate. Um, yeah. And they initially looked to me uh, as right you know the the 16.1s are certainly the ones that you see a lot that are uh, pretty powerful uh, and as you move down i think the power levels is, is broadly what where i would place it do you think that's still the case jason after we've played some leagues um i think there are only a few that kind of stand out um as being mispriced um certainly there's there's one 16 point aristo um who i know there's been a little bit of conversation about whether or not she should be at that price point and that's Luxme. um and certainly she has some excellent synergy with other 16 point aristos the way that she interacts for example with miyamoto mishashi and with wild bill especially to be able to make their um, extra attack triggers more reliable um, is possibly an argument in favor of keeping her at that points cost but at the same time um, in and of herself uh, she's probably not quite on the same power level um, as mushashi bill um, Garter, Hexa, Cosmo, and Valkyrie, um, who are the other 16 pointers. Um, and she's probably the only one who maybe is is paying a little more than she should. Um, and But at the other end, um, the likes of... So Fiddler, Hippolyta, 
Axel, Moonchild, Lee Gong um, are all 10 points. Um, and it's because they're new or they were new at the time that the document was put together. 10 points is just kind of the default entry level. Um, and there's definitely a couple of those that really, really need to be 16 really, really quickly. <laughs> Fiddler yeah. probably being the top of that list for me. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, we had some conversation when the league rules first came out that these are obviously based on pick rate. Laxmi's pick rate has actually dropped quite a lot recently if you look at the different statistics. So I was a little surprised that they maybe didn't alter her cost. Uh, like you said, Moonchild and Lei Gong came in at 10, uh, and I can definitely see both of them potentially moving up to 16. Um, yeah. And maybe if they want to keep a spread of the different costs, we'll see some altered and dropped down. Um, although, like you, I think Laxmi is possibly the only one of those 16 points who could uh, probably drop down. Um, although, if they want to drop Valk and Cosmo out, you know, my two favourite characters, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Indeed, I wouldn't mind paying less for um, Valk myself. But, I mean, just with reference to those um, Spanish meta um, pick rates, um, Laxmi sitting at number 22 for February, and then she climbed to number 19 um, in March. Um, but that's still some very middling pick rates um, in comparison to that 16-point cost that she's been um, sh that she's been hit with. Um and I think that uh, I think that currently she's she of all of the um, Aristos at their different points costs. I think she's probably the one um, who who I think should go down. Um, most interesting for me, actually, is um, some of the Aristos who are down at four points, which is the bottom end um, of the market. Um, so that's Mertier, Tawu, Oberon, Bichet. Curry Queen, Eclipse, and Final Boss. Um, and those of you who who have played against me know that there are a couple of picks in there that I am uh, I'm I'm a really big fan of, um, especially Eclipse and Curry Queen, um, both of whom are extremely effective or can be extremely effective once you get your head around how they play. Um, but at the same time, if we're if if these points costs are meant to be a pure reflection of their pick rate, it's certainly true that both of those are very low in terms of their overall pick rate. Um, and so maybe those costs are perfectly justified. Yeah, I think the bottom end, there are some real bargains. I remember us discussing it when the league rules were first dropped out. Eclipse for me is very solid, especially if you've paired with someone like Hannibal or maybe Laxmi um, to get extra dice. Her attack's actually pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. And her raw stats are surprisingly good. She is very good at keeping people into place and from getting yes. away from people. Um, I also think Final Boss is a bargain at four. Uh, we had some discussion about Final Boss recently on the Discord channel, and I think he is an Aristo that on card just doesn't look particularly impressive. He just looks a bit so-so, but he's always performed really well for me. Uh, I think he's a very flexible character. I think Final Boss is a good example, um, like Curry Queen and Eclipse. Um, if you are willing to dedicate a little bit of time to some of these Aristos and um, actually get your head around how they play um, and get some experience with them on the table and, and, and play around with the combinations that work 
with them and and put basically that put that time and effort into them then they pay out really really well um but at the same time actually there is one other who i think has been overcosted um and that's looking at the next tier up the six point tier you've got shona carano sitting there um and i'm playing with shona carano a lot at the moment um she's one of the aristos that i'm putting putting a lot of effort into trying to trying to learn so i'm so i'm i'm trying right now to make shona sing for me the way i've managed to get curry and eclipse to sing for me in the past and i've got to be honest the more i play her the more i feel like she just isn't great <laughs> yeah i am um... I mean, I think Aristea is in a, a really good spot in terms of the balance of the Aristos, even the oh, ones yes. who, you know, you know are strong, like Bill and Mushashi and, and the new ones, Moonchild and Lei Gong, who we'll discuss a bit later. Uh, yep. They all have weaknesses. They can all be uh, controlled. I don't think there's very many redundant Aristos, but I think Shona and perhaps Murtair are kind of in that category of, yeah, they're just really not, too good and there's just always better options yeah i think generally speaking across teams you'll find that you can get away with playing with a with a weaker aristo especially if you've got that experience with them um, and you know how to make them sing for you Um, but i had a match uh, about a week ago now um, where i played against mushashi wild bill Valkyrie and Hexa. Um, so if you're looking at the game from the perspective of the mod AGL manager, that's four 16-point Aristos. So that's four top 10 pick Aristos, if you want to look at it from that perspective, um, looking at the pick rates um, in the Spanish meta. And it was a very hard, very, very hard match. I really felt the entire time like I was playing uphill um, and I, I felt the difference in quality there. And um, while I agree that generally speaking, Aristea is in an excellent place in terms of the overall balancing, um, certainly at that top end, there's a noticeable difference. And I think at the bottom end, there's a noticeable difference. And if you run into that, you, you can run into that a little bit hard. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So one thing that I think leagues are, are good for uh, is, uh, and this maybe perhaps won't apply to you as much because of your own Panoceana restrictions, but I think mm. they're a, a good place for trying out some different characters, sometimes by force because of the audience point cost. Um, especially where, you know, if you know you're only going four or five rounds, you might just pick up a few of the lower cost Aristos just to have a few more options. Mm. Uh, I think leagues are a really good opportunity to do that. What, what about yourself? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Like for this, the one that we're playing in at the moment, um, my starting alignment um, was Valkyrie, Hannibal, Prism, and Shona. Um, and I'm very comfortable with Valkyrie and Hannibal. I played with them a lot. I feel very confident with them as Aristos on the table. Um, but 
for me, I Prism and Shona with both picks because I wanted to experiment with them. Um, Prism, I know theoretically can be very strong, um, but previously when I have played her, I've really had a hard time. Um, I, I, I was constantly falling one or two hexes short of being able to get to people between her movement and um, the relatively short range of um, her attack. Um, and I, I really felt like I, I was having a hard time making her um, affect the control that I saw other people getting from her. Um, and so I picked her specifically so that I can practice with her, so that I, I can start to make her sing. And as I said, Shona, again, uh, I've specifically chosen because I want to learn how to use that Aristo. I want to see, I kind of want to see her at her best. Um, and I've I have found that there is some synergy between her her and Hannibal. There, there definitely is, and I've gotten some good effect out of that. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I have long been in the camp um, who have argued that Hannibal is an Aristo who makes otherwise weak Aristos much better. And that maybe with Hannibal isn't necessarily the best way to evaluate them because he can make just about the entire range work because <laughs> that's kind of what he does. Yeah. He, I mean, I've got him in my lead team as well. I do like Hannibal a lot, but he does feel necessary for some of those lower point characters. Um, so I, I'm doing the same. I'm running Senor Massacre and eight ball in, in the current league that we're playing in because I want to try them out a lot more and get used to them. Uh, I want 8-Ball to be really good because once we uh, come out of this lockdown, we're recording during the coronavirus pandemic, so we're currently stuck at home. I just want to play the the alt 8-Ball model because it is such a thing of beauty. So, Are you spending some time putting a beautiful paint job on that beautiful model? Well, I haven't painted him yet, no, because I've got so many things to paint, but I, I am intending to, and I just want to be able to make him work reliably because I want to use that model because it is the first of the old models that I've looked at and been like, I just have to have that model. It is so beautiful. Yeah, I've got to be honest. Um, one of our uh, local, actually, to be fair, a couple of our locals here in Auckland um, have been really big fans um, of the alt skins um, and play them a lot. Um, and so we, I think actually that's fed into here locally, we're not big on running um, the Slavin mod um, because. Um, mirror matches in terms of having the same Aristo in both teams doesn't tend to bother us so much, I think, because one of the people who tends to play similar Aristos um, to to the rest of us um, plays with basically all of the alt skins, and so you don't have the same model on the table, and somehow that just seems to make quite a big psychological difference um, to playing you know, two different Maximus. If one of them is the Spartan skin and the other one is the regular Mototronica skin of Maximus, it just doesn't feel like exactly the same Aristo, even though it is, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, should we move on from Aristos then and talk yeah. quite briefly about sponsors, uh, I think? Um well, I think the first and most important thing to point out is that when you are using uh, the mod AGL manager, you don't use sponsors. So you, yes. you don't have a sponsor automatically and you don't have one in the first round at all. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
anyone who has gained sponsors through uh, playing in tournaments and so forth. I know I've got uh, a few opened up now. Um, yeah, you don't get to use them. Instead, you buy them with your audience points from playing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they all the ones available in the AGL Manager mod are the same as the ones that you can open up, but no nation sponsors. Yeah, um, it's interesting that they didn't make um, the national sponsors available, but um, I think the idea... You can't use any mods, any other mods with AGL Manager, or you're not supposed to, so Zlavin doesn't come in, so I guess nation sponsorship isn't needed. True. Um, I guess that would be, and yeah, the the Kurikui mods, the other one that um, can knock Aristos out of your your set of selections. So I guess if those other mods aren't being used, though, interestingly, um, both of the leagues that we have played in with this mod have ignored that because we've used the arena mod as well to we allow have, us to yeah. use Homodon. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we've also ignored the team construction, so I, I think that's so. okay. Uh, but yeah, I think I think Zlavin just couldn't work in a league because uh, particularly if you use the suggested teams, but obviously there are a lot of dupes. Um, yeah, there are. There are. I, I think it's probably worth pointing out, actually, um, before we talk too much more about the sponsors, um, that those initial alignments, um, the default ones, are all from the core eight um, from the original box. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it does, I guess it would be good for an introduction for new players. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure you'd want to start playing Aristea for the first time playing the mod AGL manager. Yeah, I like agree. It <laughs> feels like diving in at the deep end. <laughs> I also feel like it doesn't acknowledge the fact that most uh, miniature gamers have this terrible habit of just wanting to buy everything as well. Yeah, buy. I I played one sample game of Aristea, and now I bought literally every expansion. What do now? <laughs> yeah, I, I've done the same with Marvel Crisis Protocol recently. Um, <laughs> I did the same for Aristea. Um, but yeah, the sponsors, uh, I don't think we necessarily need to go through all the sponsors. Uh, they can be read in the AGL document for anyone who's listening. Uh, but I think it's having them and being able to buy them with audience points is, is really good because opening them up normally through normal games generally requires you to do either quite well in tournaments or quite badly in tournaments. And uh, that's one of my issues with the sponsors. If you just kind of turn up and you do okay and you win a couple of games and you don't open up that many sponsors through the normal uh, AGL system. I agree. Um, it's it's actually something that um, I think we should be having a conversation about um, in terms of the access um, amongst the Aristea Warcores um, with, I guess, V is the right person for us to have this conversation with. I, I would very much like to start seeing sponsors um, more as... Um, like mini rewards have mini challenges. Um, so executing a certain number of frags or um, scoring a certain number of points, I'm sure we could find some much more interesting ideas than those two terrible examples I just came up with off the top of my head right now. Um, but basically add a little mini game element because at the moment you're right. Um, unless unless basically you're at the top of tournaments or at the bottom of tournaments, you don't get access to the special sponsors. It's actually not that easy. Um, yeah. I think Nations was brought in as an attempt to 
try and overcome that so you did get something but i think uh the general sponsors are a bit more interesting so i, th- I think there should be better ways of opening them up yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think the the example of how you get access to national sponsorship of playing a specific Aristo or some or a specific subgroup of Aristos in a set number of matches is a good example of the kind of mechanic you could use to unlock some of the special sponsors. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like the way that you just have access to them in the manager mod, though. Uh, the cheapest is three audience points. The most expensive are five audience points. So they're very easy to to access and to start making use of quite early, I think, which is uh, a really good time to try them out. The same with trying out different Aristos. I think um, their inclusion and the ease of access to them is a, a good thing. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think that um, just paying a handful of audience points is a good approach um, especially for this mod Um, but the much more interesting part is the equipment oh yes yes i love the equipment so i think it's possibly worth saying at this point that leagues uh, or the agile manager league uh isn't quite as balanced as normal competitive aristea play uh, no because of the way it forces your hand in terms of, of picking Aristo. So you're unlikely to ever come up against a team that has four of the really good Aristos, the 16-point Aristos, and I think that's a good thing. But also you have the equipment, um, which uh, changes some of the cards uh, or allows you to do extra things. And I think this, for me, is where the AGL Manager mod really shines. I think you get some super interesting things in here that are really fun, uh, and I really enjoy this aspect of the league more than than anything else. Now, I think it's worth pointing out at this stage that with the two new standard tactics decks, um, the majority of the special equipment that you can buy for the manager mod basically doesn't function if you want to use either of the two new standard decks um, because they modify tactics that only exist in the original core box standard tactics deck. That is true, yeah. That's a good point. Um, And that, to me, has discouraged... That's discouraged me from using some of these which i would otherwise um find very interesting um i i think one of the key things is i mean three of the three of the upgrades are basically the same thing um for the three different dice adders um one of you one of them gives you an extra special when you roll a yellow dice as well as giving you a bonus yellow dice. One of them gives you an extra success when you roll, when you add an orange dice. And one of them gives you an extra block when you roll an extra blue dice. Um, and that's just really, really good. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's worth noting for those listening who aren't familiar with it, those 14 audience points. So you're unlikely to be getting them early in a, uh, in a league. Um, they are very powerful effects, but they, they do cost a lot for it. 
Yeah, and then um, another one which takes fortune favors the badass, and add, and you can add a single success block or special result to the roll after you've re- done your reroll. Um, I mean, that takes fortune favors the badass, which is objectively the worst card in the original standard deck, and makes it very good. Yeah. Uh, I think the 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 real standout for me uh, in these is legal protection. Um, so that is another fourteen audience cost, um, a piece of equipment, uh, and it means that your no cannot be knowed. Um, so I know there's been some discussion on into the hexstone before about the use of tactics, and very often you'll keep your own no to make sure you can get that really key tactic through. Um, yeah. Your opponent can't cancel it, and you end up getting the no of the no quite a lot. So yeah. having legal protection means that if you play a no, your opponent can't trump it. They can't cancel it with their no, which I think is fantastic. So the best use of that I have seen was somebody running who had who bought that in the second round and was running Tauwu, um, and that's just oh. Oh. really solid. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... Uh, I play Tauwu quite a lot. Um, I haven't played him for a while, actually, as I've, I've moved on to New Aristos, but he is obnoxious. Yeah. Uh, having two no's that can't be cancelled is pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, though, to be fair, advanced tactical analysis, pulling three tactics with catch your breath, even if you have to put one of them at the bottom of your deck, that, that's really good too. I, I think all of those 14 audience cost um, equipment options are basically really, really good. But at the same time, 14 audience cost is huge. So yeah. they'd better be good. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what the average is, but I, I would say probably um maybe six to eight uh maybe if you lose and maybe eight to ten if you win uh it's probably your average across a game yes uh, so these are probably costing two games worth of audience points yeah Uh, and of also two games of buying nothing else as well yeah exactly um and then there's a couple more um, infirmary assistant that lets you um, chuck a tactic to remove a status um, once a game, um, but that it can be even from an Aristo on the bench. Yeah, this is that could be very good. Tactic. Yeah, but essentially means you can bring someone back from the bench on their full five energy, um, yep. so they can come back, they can move and attack someone generally. I mean, that's Pavati's best tactic. That's that's what her best tactic does. <laughs> yeah. I, I took infirmary assistant in the into the hexadome league that we played, and it was just really, really solid for me. Um, it won me one game because I brought Valk down on full health. She sprinted in and just exploded someone in a scoring zone as beautiful as she wanted to do. Yeah, beautiful. And then team mascot. I think this is. Very, very well priced at six audience. Yeah, it's it's the only thing I've actually picked up. So once a game, when you're supposed to hand over the underdog token, you keep it for the next round instead. And man, is that good! <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was uh, in one of the earlier AGL documents. Get this skill as a sponsor. Uh, yes, but I think they realised it was just too good in competitive play. Um, 
particularly in things like Blitz, for example, where you score really yeah. quickly. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it was Shang. I think it was Shang Mei, um, which is now uh, makes you the underdog for um, deployment and starting player, um, which is good, but not ridiculously good. I um, think in in the AGL manager mod pairing Shang Mei and T Scott is really solid, though. So you can just yeah. choose to be the underdog to start, and then you can keep that underdog. So you can potentially uh, guarantee yourself underdog rounds one and rounds two of the game oh actually actually the i don't know whether this is different from the regular text on shang mei but in the agl manager mod version um shang mei doesn't make you the underdog for the first round um it's only for who is player a and player b um so who uh, okay. and the deployment step oh, um, yeah, right. so I've, it is more I've, limited than that but i mean that's 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 not to undersell team mascot it's great it's the only piece of equipment i managed to buy in the last league um i will definitely be buying it again in this league that is how good it is it's amazing yeah i think team mascot is uh, and it's six audience points i think it's an early buy to go for i think it's really good yeah um and last but not least night out um which lets you basically lets you ban an aristo um it doesn't you can't do it when somebody only has four aristos in their team (laughs) which i almost wish you could because it would be so i mean it'd be horribly horribly unbalanced to play four aristos against three but at the same time it would be hilarious imagine the shame if you lost though against that oh like oh yeah no you'd never live that your opponent and then you lost the game anyway (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah night out is really good uh so it's a one use only so unlike all the others get added to your roster if you like permanently for the league night out costs eight audience points so it's not cheap and it's one use only um and it's essentially buying yourself a uh a Corey queen um mod um so yeah as jason says you just get to ban a character outright um i took it in the, la- the last league we run uh but my opponent sold all their aristos before our game so i didn't get to use it which was upsetting oh <laughs> yeah. it is yeah because they went they went back down to four aristos because they'd had they'd had it happen in the game before to them and lost a really key piece of their team and they didn't want it to happen again um but yeah, it is it is solid. It is good, uh, and that's something we didn't mention. Actually, you can sell your Aristos. Um, you yeah, that's right. You get half their cost back if you've decided that you don't want to use them anymore. Yeah, especially uh, I think probably depending on the way the league's constructed, um, if you've picked up Aristos for a specific um, for a specific match um then it's possible you might want to sell them afterwards um but at the same time most of the really specific dedicated aristos who you might who who i really think you'd consider doing that aren't very many audience points so you're not going to get much back from them yeah um i think leagues tend to be uh, or certainly ones we've played in have both been five rounds so that's fairly short. You don't have a lot of games to be selling and then rebuying. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think it would definitely be something I would, 
expect to see more of if you forced people to start with the initial alignments that are described in the AGL doc. Oh, yes. Um, so, I think you have Bell or Mushashi. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if, yeah, basically, if everyone has the, the set four from the core box, um, then I think in round two and onwards, you'd see people selling off some of those because they just didn't want to be using them for the entire, um, for the entire league. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why just allowing people to track their own teams is, is a better idea. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and I think that the it, it, that's probably the single... If you were seriously looking at running the mod AGL manager, um, the, the, the one thing I would definitely recommend um, would be altering the initial alignment and allowing people to either pick two 16... Um, 16-point Aristos, 1-10, and 1-6. I think that that's an okay approach if you wanted to go that way. Um, but I think giving people the pool of points and just saying you've got, what is it, 32, 42, 48 Four. points. Yeah, you've got 48 points, buy yourself four Aristos and pocket the change. I think that's a perfectly acceptable way to do it. And it doesn't seem to be negatively affecting the league that we're currently playing. No, the league that we're currently playing though does keep to the maximum, so you still can't have more than two sixteen-point Aristos. So, you, if you had forty-eight, you can just uh, buy. Uh, oh, you can't do that anyway, can you? You no. couldn't anyway. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, it, it was yeah. a rule that you weren't allowed to, but I don't think you need to say it because you can't. <laughs> um, but you do don't work. Have, yeah, but you. you couldn't buy in the current league that we're doing four 10 point aristos for example you still have one that is up to six points so you could buy a four or six point aristo but you still have to have one in that lower bracket actually that's a good point though personally i don't feel like that restriction is necessary i think somebody starting with four 10 points probably would be fine but i would caveat that by saying uh, i'm also assuming that moonchild Legong and Fiddler especially would have their points changed before yeah, that. A lot of Legong and Moonchild in this league. Actually, <laughs> because right now, yeah, exactly. Right now, if you let me pick four 10-point Aristos and I didn't, wasn't so dedicated to Panos Yania, um, <laughs> I'd start by picking Moonchild, Legong and Fiddler and then I'd add Hannibal to that and then I'd laugh. And I'd laugh, and I'd laugh, and I'd laugh. <laughs> okay, so that is uh, an overview of the league. Um, I Before we move on to discuss the new characters, because I think we should probably move on soon, uh, I would yep. just say that I, I love this mod. I think it's a, a great way to play the game. Uh, I think you have to acknowledge it's not quite as well balanced as if you like properly competitive play, um, but it's still uh, an awful lot of fun. Uh, I've really enjoyed the the leagues that I've played in. I definitely want to play in more, uh, and I'd certainly recommend it to anybody listening. Um, the other thing I think um, that I would suggest, and it would be an interesting play experience, would be to make a weekend out of it um, and do um, maybe six games over a weekend, over the course of a weekend, um, get a group of friends together um, and you know, either run it 
um, as an official event or not, um, and, but play through a series of games using the mod AGL manager over a shorter period of time. Um, if you can't commit long term to uh, a series of games um, like a, like the, a normal league setup where you're playing over several weeks, then maybe consider using this um, and, and just taking one weekend and doing it over that time um, because I think it'll still be a really enjoyable experience because yeah, I've had heaps of fun with the mod AGL manager and I too would highly recommend it. Yeah, I definitely agree that it could be run uh, like a tournament, like an event over uh, a day or two. I think both the ones we've played in have been five games. I'd really like to play an eight-game league at some point, which is the, the maximum recommended, although I don't think there's anything stopping you going beyond that. But I think uh, league games... It'd start getting a bit crazy, maybe, with the people who were getting really big audience points totals. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, leagues, in my experience, from playing games like, like Blood Bowl, for example, tend to better that the sort of slightly longer they go on and the more things develop but um, mm -hmm. yeah it's a great mod a lot of fun would really recommend it absolutely okay. now speaking of underpriced <laughs> aristos <laughs> very nice segue yeah so uh double trouble came out recently uh moonchild and lay gong uh so they bring a new thing to Aristea, uh, do you want to explain that, Jace? Yeah, so um, just like the previous expansion that introduced the idea of minions, Double Trouble introduces a new concept um, that basically adds an, an, another element to Aristea. And in this case, it's a transforming... Uh, it's a transforming Aristo. So both Moonchild and Lagong have a mechanic, and the mechanic that they each use is slightly different. Um, but the what that does is it allows them to go from one state to another state and to transform themselves so that they have different stats and attributes and abilities. Um, and um, those are appropriate. One of them, Legong, is a mechanical transformation, a very manga style, transforming his power armor to create an enormous beam cannon. And Moonchild, um, in, in the greatest Infinity tradition, um, and and the part of Infinity that annoys Gutier the most, um, as as he reported in a recent interview, um, she's a genuine werewolf and turns from an ordinary human into a giant ravening murder machine. Um, oh, they're glorious. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I feel like they missed a trick by not including two models for each of them in the box, particularly Moonchild. Um, so yeah, I think at some point I'm going to try and source uh, a dog warrior. So so Moonchild is a dog face, which is the kind of human version of her, and then she turns into the huge werewolf, the dog warrior, uh, mm -hmm. like Jason just described. Uh, and she does that by dying, effectively, except she doesn't die. So she, she's got two wounds, uh, and if you kill her, she turns into this four-wound beast. Um, but crucially, she can do damage to herself whenever she's involved in a combat role. So that means when she declares attacks or when she's defending against attacks, because when a, a combat role goes both ways. So she can force that transformation herself, and she is absolutely horrible when she's in her alt form of the dog warrior 
Yeah, I think Moonchild is interesting because, um, like, she really does change completely. Like, even her initiative card um, has it. So her initial card has a slash down the middle of it. She starts out with four initiative and she bumps up to six initiative. Um, So perhaps the one thing actually that I didn't say out loud in my description of how the mechanic works is you actually flip the card over. They have a red side and a blue side um, for the actual... um, for the actual character cards um and when moonchild flips over to her blue side um when she's taken that two damage um she instead of going to the infirmary she then transforms into her dog warrior form and um, her initiative jumps up and her energy jumps up she's our very first six energy aristo with a two energy attack yeah i know it's bonkers Yeah, so she, she, I mean, in so in her moon, in her dog face form, rather, she has uh, initiative four, move four, energy five. She has one blue dice on defense, so pretty poor, mm-hmm. but obviously, you want her to die. Uh, her brawn is a blue and a black, and her agility is an orange, so she's pretty average. Her, her three energy attack is actually pretty good, it's a red, an orange, and a yellow. Or she can throw a tomahawk at you, which is uh, an orange blue from two to three away. So that's not that's not amazing. But when she turns into dog warrior form, she is absolutely legit. Uh, as Jason just said, she is initiative six and energy six. She drops a movement point, so she drops down to movement three. But of course, she can potentially move three times so she can move up to nine squares uh hexes yeah. rather uh although she gains an ability uh when she flips a card called berserk so she can't have focus so no play with laxmi and she mm-hmm. cannot gain the benefits of cover um, mm-hmm. and also if she starts her activation within one to two of an enemy she has to perform an attack immediately against them um, so she potentially leaves herself with only four energy for moving or doing more attacks. Yeah, she's got a really interesting. Well, I mean, her generic switch um, is the same as Dart's generic switch. She can um, nullify blocks by spending blocks from her own roll, um, and that's quite useful to her when she's in her dog face, her human form, um, to be able to inflict damage on herself. She can cancel her own blocks um, so that she's going to take the um, you know point or two of damage that she needs to, um, so that she can transform. But once she's in dog warrior form. Uh, she can just be absolutely devastating. Um, the 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 damage output potential that she can reach is just is quite staggering. Um, it's horrible. Um, I think the only like the only flaw, and I think it's well engineered, um, is that uh, her, the attack switch, um, which allows her to place herself adjacent to the target, and therefore gives her quite significant repositioning um, potential. Um, and of course, remembering that switches fire before damage, so she can use that to change position before she kills another Aristo. Um, but it requires a shield and a special. Um, and so that she's quite shield, she's quite block hungry um, for an Aristo who's rolling a red, an orange, and a yellow, and therefore probably not generating that many blocks on an average attack. No, yeah, she she gains a, a static star as well to her attack when she's in, in dog warrior form. Um, 
But the real killer, like the thing that really makes Moonchild as an Aristo, and the thing that I think has had people talking about her as an answer to Miyamoto Musashi, um, is her total immunity ability. Yeah. Yeah. So total immunity, uh, it states your opponent cannot activate switch target of their combat roles yeah not being able to activate switches at all is just such a big deal and of course remembering that regardless of which side moonchild is in an exchange she is going to be the target of the other aristo so when she's attacking them she is their target when yeah. they're attacking her she is their target so basically if if moonchild is attacking you or if you are attacking moonchild you can't use switches full stop yeah and i think that's an important point actually because the language suggests uh when you read it that when you are the target of roles means only when they're attacking you but attacks and combats uh uh are very clearly defined terms in aristea um effectively right. when you're attacking someone you are the target of their defense role so you are still the target of their combat role so no switches ever yeah and, it's and so strong I mean, and, and the rest of her, um, her stat, her defense increases and becomes a green and two blacks. Um, her brawn increases and becomes a green and a blue. Her agility increases um, and becomes an orange with a shield. And remembering that that shield allows, sorry, that block allows her to cancel a block on someone else that someone else rolls. So she's quite capable of getting away. She's very good at holding people next to her and she's damn hard to kill even though she only has four health. Um, she's the third toughest Aristo, I think mathematically the third toughest Aristo based on defense. She is, yeah. She's very, very solid. Um, yeah. She, I think her shield switch to cancel shields off the opponent will very much be dependent on what they roll when she's in her dog face form she's just going to use it because she wants to die but you want to keep dog warrior moonchild as long alive as long as possible so i True. don't think you'd risk taking damage unless it's going to kill an opposing aristo if you can just chip that last wound off i think it's probably worth it but yeah. yes she is kind of obnoxious she is very quick very tough has got quite a lot of uh movement tricks as well um really useful ones now, probably the 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 other thing to mention here, um, or always when talking about a new Aristo, is that I, I mean we make her sound absolutely fantastic, and she is, and she's she's devastating, and a lot of people are having a lot of success with her. But at the same time, there are some counters here. Um, she does have to get out of dogface form before she becomes the truly terrifying dog warrior and i think that that's really the window of opportunity for people to control her um if she can if you can basically if you can immobilize her in either form um she's pretty sad yeah. um but if when she's in dogface form um it, it she's vulnerable to actually quite a lot of um, status effects. Um, though, of course, none of the ones that deal damage, really, because anything that's going to deal damage is just going to help her. So you don't want to set her on fire, and you certainly don't want to poison her, because that's only going to bring out the werewolf sooner. Yeah, if you're playing against her, the, the tactic is definitely try to stop her changing for as long as um i played with her recently and um yeah she got 
valked and eclipsed a lot. So she got immobilized, and then when it went, eclipsed flipped it back over quite a lot. Um, it made her sad. Yeah, Valkyrie and Eclipse is a is a is a solid combo. <laughs> yeah, I, I've also played. I've, I've played Moonchild a few times. Uh, she is really good, uh, particularly with some of her cards that we'll talk about in a moment. But also particularly when paired with Hannibal, um, because you can her in her dog face form throw to tomahawks, which is uh, a fairly naff attack, but it's range two to three and it only costs two. So if you mm. can do it once in her own activation and then you can get Hannibal to make her do it again, you can chip yourself for damage on both of them and turn into the very nasty version sooner rather than later. Very true. As, um, yeah, because she can deal a point of damage to herself. So Hannibal basically can guarantee a transformation for round two. As long as she can see someone. So she can be vulnerable to stunned because although she has a... a an attack that's only one away it costs three to do whereas tomahawks is two to three so if you uh sorry not stunned dazzle her dazzled yeah yeah, yeah she can she can be a bit sad um but she does combo very well with uh with hannibal worth noting as well that with either of these new aristos when you kill them uh they return to their red side so for it's less of an issue for lay gong we'll discuss him in a moment but moonchild mm -hmm. goes back to her red side so when she comes back from the bench she needs to be effectively reduced to zero wounds again before returning mm -hmm. to dog warrior form so if she does become uh the dog warrior killing her it is always good if you can manage it yeah, though again, four four health and the third best defense, starting defense um, in the game. Killing her isn't always the easiest thing to do. It is not, no. Okay, so you have a little check about some of her tactics. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, they're all very solid. So the first one is there's no escape. Uh, mm -hmm. And this really plays into her maneuverability. So this allows her to place herself adjacent to an energy enemy target within range one to four, and it's a red. Uh, yeah, so no line so of no needed. Yeah, I think that is very, very, very good, and I think it almost can't be overstated how effective that is <laughs> and can be with Naristo like this. I think it's probably her only must take. I think I, I've taken it in every rarely see times when I wouldn't take it. Because we've talked a lot about how effective she is at killing, but at its core, Aristea is mostly a game about positioning, and she has mm -hmm. some amazing positioning tricks to get her across the board into scoring zones. Um, assuming she doesn't have anybody within one to two of her when she starts her activation, she can potentially move three and play no escape. So she has a 13 hex threat range, which is huge. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it's it, it certainly um, really makes a big difference to her ability to go from one side of the hexadome to another. Um, force transformation. Is that the force transformations next? Uh, we can talk about Force Transformation next. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Force Transformation is at the beginning of the preparation step. So mm. Moonchild can only play it when she's in a dog face form. Remove all damage and state tokens from your card, and then you flip yourself over to the blue side and impose the minus two energy on yourself. So this is a way to 
uh, rather than have to take that damage, guarantee yourself to be able to turn into uh, the dog warrior form. Now, I think the key thing to point out here, um, because there can be a little bit of confusion around it, um, when you are at the beginning of the preparation step, you have already generated your action points um, for the round. Yeah. Um, so this does so the negative two energy state that you are getting isn't going to impact the number of action points that you have in this round in this turn. Um, however, you will only have the five action points that you get from the five energy of the dog face form and not the six that you would get from the six energy of the dog warrior form. Um, however, I think this is probably a tactic which is best played on returning from the bench anyway. Yes, uh, I think actually, sorry, I'm just reading that at the beginning of the step. Character has zero. Yeah, you you play. I think you play force transformation before you generate your action points because you generate action points in the third step of the preparation step. So the preparation step has five steps to it, and it's the third one that you generate your action points. So you would. Oh, my apologies. You're quite right. Yeah, oh, you would I... play force transformation. However, oh. I think you've just hit on when you really want to play it is if they're on the bench it's so yeah. helpful because you can play this while you're on the bench so you'd already be receiving a minus two energy which means you can come back from the bench immediately in the dog warrior form which is mm. just i didn't realize this uh, at first i thought force transformation wasn't that good because um uh, effectively you get four energy for the first turn you use it the next turn you get five energy and moonshell can't do anything with five energy because her move is obviously two and her attack is two so she's sort of wasting an energy but being able to play it on yourself on the bench is just super strong i think it's really mm, good i agree um, um i'm sure you take it that much though yeah it's interesting um i I definitely agree with you that there's no escape is a is almost a must take. Um, I'm 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 very so so about the rest um, of her tactics, and I I generally think that force transformation is probably probably the next best. Um, but I think there's probably an argument for cruelty as well. So possibly you take either force transformation or cruelty. Yeah, I think uh, put force transformation down as my lowest card. Um, because oh, really? you probably only play it when she dies and you want to try and avoid dying if you can. Um, although, like I said, I have played her a fair bit with Hannibal, so I can force her transformation a bit easier, um, which is nice. But cru mm -hmm. cruelty uh, that you're just saying is, is, yeah, is, is the other high priority take, I think. So um, this... Uh, is during the declaration step of your Tesium Tomahawks attack. Now, it's worth noting that that attack is the same in both forms. Um, although, yeah. in reality, I think you probably play it when she's in Dog Warrior, and it's it's slightly better because it's got slightly longer range and also has the extra star. Uh, you gain a switch. And it's two energy rather than three. Uh, and that, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, it leans into her using shield that jason has mentioned already so for shield and exclamation mark you get to take your attack again against the same target so it can't it's not like wild bill where you 
different. You take it against the same target without spending action points. Um, and I think it's uh, she doesn't reliably roll shields, but it only requires one, so it's it's pretty strong. And I think the important thing for me, uh, again, because of this synergy that she has with Hannibal, is that it's until the end of the round, not just yes. during activation. So she can do it, and then Hannibal can activate her again, and she can hit the switch again. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of how I killed Maximus in one turn with Moonchild. Yeah, um, I think I agree. It if you were going to run her with Hannibal, um, and I would agree that that's a good matchup, um, then cruelty would jump in my estimation. Um, I think that as a one-turn enhancement, given that she doesn't have any inbuilt ability to reposition, um, I question its utility um, on its own. Um, I think that Moonchild standing stand alone with cruelty is often not necessarily going to be worthwhile because i feel like she can probably take down a single target anyway and i think that a lot of the time she's going to struggle to be able to get the get get in the multiple hits um that is really going to make this shine yeah it's, it's not a reliable switch it, it's yeah um and, and that's the other thing um unlike other aristos um who have similar kinds of switches she, she's not she's not going to fire the switch very reliably um and it's hard to add blue dice um there's not a lot of sources of blue dice in the game generally um other than tactics cards basically yeah i think what she would really love for this to to be reliable is focus and yellow dice but obviously uh there's a some good internal balance in there that she cannot gain focus so laxmi can't yeah. give it to her um she can use the focus cards but if you're using the standard deck there's obviously only two of them in the game so you can't pair her with laxmi and just keep hitting switches upon switches well you can pair her with Laxmi and Oberon because Oberon can silence Berserk and then Laxmi can give her the focused state. That is a good point. Uh, but that's very complicated and I'm not 100% sure that it's worthwhile. But yeah, it would be incredibly funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm generally not a fan of vesting a lot into one single <laughs> tactic like that because I think you then overlook the rest of the game in trying to achieve your victory points um although i think it, it would be fairly amusing to to do um would you not have won the game if you silenced berserk and then put focus onto her though is I, that not in and of itself its own win maybe it's a moral victory <laughs> uh, i'm not sure i'd ever take over on and mean the same list though um apart from to try because I think they're both sort of too vulnerable to, to dying. Um, I would generally agree. Um, okay, should we have a chat about her last card anyway, which is overwhelming? Uh, is it not underwhelming? I thought it was underwhelming. Is uh, that not the title of it? <laughs> I actually took it in the last game. I think this is situationally good, um, but I agree that you won't take it very often. In fact, I took it against Jason. We played Blitz. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. So, uh, essentially, this card, so it's during her activation. She can use it in both forms. In dog face form, she gains a yellow dice 
to her agility and a bonus movement point whenever she manages to disengage. In dog warrior mm. form, she gets that bonus yellow dice to her agility again, but she inflicts damage instead of a bonus movement point. I think, uh, as we've discussed, Aristea is such a game where positioning is so key, particularly on something like Blitz, where you might have to get quite a long distance. Just that extra bonus to allow yourself to disengage, I think, can be quite important. If you really want to guarantee yourself getting away, uh, it's really good. Um, of course, there's other cards that allow you to add dice in to, to make you disengage more effective if it's a really important disengage. I've uh, got to be honest. If this was a tactic that could be played on anyone, right? If you could, so if, if you could, if it had those two options and I could play it on any Aristo, then I would, I'd look at it and I'd say, Hmm, maybe, right? If I like, if I had the choice and I could add an agility or a movement point, or I can add, uh, sorry, if I could add a yellow to my agility or a movement point, or I could add a yellow to my agility and inflict one damage, and I had the choice between those two things, and I could play it on any Aristo in my team, then I'd look at that tactic and I'd think that that might be worthwhile. But because it's only Moonchild, and because the choice isn't you don't actually get to choose which of those you get it's mm. driven by which form you're in i just think it's like it's so situational it is it is situational i agree um but i think in blitz which is the game i took in it was the right situation um not the right i would agree it? Um, yeah yeah but yeah you're not gonna that... take it off. i think you're always going to take there's no escape and whatever yeah either cruelty or force transformation depending on whether you're expecting to have her go down at some point or whether you're expecting um, to have to take down tough targets and that is perhaps a decision that you make based on your opponent's team composition um, you maybe pick cruelty if they've got tough aristos that you're really going to want to chainsaw down and you pick force transformation if you're a little bit worried that their damage output's going to be high enough to actually put moonchild down reliably yep yeah, I agree. Okay, so we have a little bit of a chat about Legong. Yes, yeah, speaking of damage output that's high enough to be able to put Moonchild down. <laughs> yes, yes, again, a very good segue. So, uh, Legong uh, is the other Aristo in Double Trouble, uh, and he is really solid. Yeah, so he is uh, Initiative 5 in both his forms. He's moved five in his red form and three in his flip form and he has five energy in both um his base stats are pretty underwhelming in both uh i think yeah, pretty um, pretty miserable no matter which form he's in yeah but that isn't why you're taking leg on um to be honest you're really only taking him with his is for his blue form attack but unlike moonchild he controls when he flips himself it's a zero cost uh action and he just flips his character card he keeps all the tokens if you put any staple wounds on him he will place them so what he tends to do is he's got a uh action on his red side called mirrors of Legong. you place a smoke token down within zero to three and then you can place yourself on a free space with a smoke token within one to three. So it doesn't have to be the one you place down, although often it is. And I think what's really strong about this is you don't roll for it. It just works. There's a smoke token and you go to it. 
or you go to another smoke token after you've placed one down. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of all of that, his default switch, which allows you to place yourself on a free space with a smoke token within range one to six, um, can give him even more mobility, especially if he is in a team where there are other sources of smoke. Um, so or especially if, you're... if you've got... Sorry, Chase. Sorry, no, you, what we, you were saying? I was going to say, or if your opponent takes Cosmo. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, very, very good call. Um, so uh, uh, it's clear, I think, that Legong was designed with the Yujing team in mind. Um, but he is also a relatively solid counterpick. Um, if your opponent picks Cosmo, picking Legong yourself is possibly one of the best responses to your opponent using smoke. Yeah, Lei Gong loves Cosmo and doesn't particularly care whether she's on his team. Yeah, if if he if she's on his team, great. If she's on the opposition's team, equally great. Um, and and it's going to work out well for you and badly for your opponent, no matter. Yeah. So so mirrors of Lei Gong is uh, is two energy. Uh, so he could just stay in his red form and twice, so he could potentially teleport six hexes, or he could uh, teleport three hexes and then move five. But if you're using him for probably just going to just move him, uh, unless you're really worried about ranged attacks, in which case, yeah, you're going to hide yourself in smoke. But once he flips over, uh, he is, uh, like the other uh, Eugene characters, immune to the effects of smoke. So he can fire out of smoke when he's in it. He has a three energy attack on his blue side. Uh, It is a crit success built in. The first character to have a crit success uh, built into an attack uh, or a crit block. I think the only person with a crit block otherwise is Maximus on his agility, if memory serves me. Uh, It's a crit crit success on his agility. Um, But, I mean, this is the first one in an attack. Yeah. yeah, so it's a crit success, which obviously, as per the, also adds a success when you get to the switch step, and it's two orange, but he also gains an extra orange anytime he is attacking out of smoke. So uh, the play often with him is to drop smoke down and teleport to it, and then do a three orange dice and one crit success attack from two to four away. It is very very strong. It's interesting, actually, that range, two to four, is quite a lot shorter than a lot of similar offensive Aristos. And I've got to be honest, when I first looked at Legong, that really did kind of catch me. Um, it is a, like, it's a quite a limited range band. But because of his high mobility on his red side um and like he's got the ability to teleport with mirrors of legong or he can move five just with his native movement um he it actually his his effective offensive range um is is enough yes yeah i agree i think uh mirrors of legong in particular has basically been uh fit into that attack so it's actually ranged two to seven in practicality uh, yeah, it, it's shorter than he he's got an attack on his other side, which is red yellow. Um, on his red side, he doesn't gain the bonus orange for being in smoke on his red side. So it's a relatively weak attack, but it is slightly longer range. It's three to six. 
though it's very good for firing his switch that allows yeah. him to place himself on a free space with smoke within range one to six. Um, yeah. And I think lightning bolt is designed more as a mobility tool than it is as an actual attack. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the, the interesting thing about Legong is that like he's, he is a glass cannon, like in, in, his defense in, on his red side is a blue and a black, which is already not great. When he flips over to the, the um, blue side, his defense is just a green. Like, that's terrible. Yeah, he that's a is one in three. Yeah, it's a one in three chance of nothing. <laughs> and you do want to kill Lakon. If you find yourself facing I think uh, you want to kill um, before he shoots all your people, all your aristos to death with that horrible, horrible attack. Um, yeah. So, so I think the, the real the real risk with him is that he's having to get relatively close, and then his 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 terrible defense means that um, actually melee aristos are going to be one of the best responses to him because they're just yeah. going to walk up to him and just he's probably take gonna him be off the smoke. Board. He's yeah. probably going to be in smoke. So you know, while Bell. Uh, Luna, other ranged Aristos aren't going to hurt him, but uh, I've played with him against Mushashi, uh, and obviously Mushashi is initiative six. So, first turn he was really effective, second turn he was very dead. Uh, yeah. And when he comes back with negative energy, uh, he's not getting to do his own smoke and his attack, which uh, does reduce the effectiveness. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, like he, he's, he's the definition of a glass cannon. Um, and I think that if you support him well, and I think if you if you support him extremely offensively, um, then he's going to be all right. But if you give your opponent even a small chance of putting him down, they're going to. They're just going to. He he is not able to stay up. Yeah, I think he's vulnerable to some states. Well. To dazzled, so someone like Gata, who again at initiative seven is going to be going for him. Uh, Lei Gong's minimum range is two, so if he is dazzled, he is not going to be shooting anybody. Um, yeah. so he doesn't like that. Depending how far away from him you are, potentially immobilizing him, uh, as long as you can get outside of that four, um, four no, because then to well, it forces him to use mirrors of Lei Gong, so it depends exactly. on energy. I don't think re- realistically. I don't think immobilizing him is a particularly effective strategy because he's got just got the option to drop smoke, go into the smoke, and then shoot from that. And his threat range just went back up to seven again. It's hard to stay seven hexes reliably away with an entire team. Yeah, I think I think killing him is my preferred answer. Um, yeah, followed by uh, dazzled. Um, I don't even think he's particularly vulnerable. <coughs> excuse me, to stunned in the way that a lot of characters are, because three arms, yeah. ice, and a crit means he's getting so many stars that losing it one of that isn't going to affect him that much. Yeah.